A Night on the Town by Evan W. Gerdes. Brad Grayson found the high school courtyard blissful when empty. The grass was thin and brown, the sky peppered with clouds telling of the coming winter. Summer's buzzing insects were gone and all was quiet. The other students had rushed into their classrooms. The square-shaped courtyard housed 16 classrooms plus restrooms. An adjoining building housed a few more classrooms and the office. Beyond that building was the gymnasium. Brad stepped into the restroom. He curled his lips and grimaced. A thin layer of condensation coated the mirrors, walls, and tile floor. The restroom's AC unit was busted. After he relieved himself, Brad walked to the sinks. By then, Corey Garber had entered the restroom. Both splashed their hands lazily under the water with a touch of soap. Brad was unsurprised to find Corey in the bathroom. His best friend was known for being late to class at any point of the day, no matter how full his bladder. Corey checked his reflection. He appeared to be looking for nothing in particular. You think I would look good with a mustache? Brad answered without hesitation. No. Yeah, me neither. Corey brushed his upper lip. Don't think I could grow one anyway. I've got more hair in my nostrils than on my face. I need to get a nose trimmer. There's such thing as a nose trimmer, right? I don't know. Brad made a face. He would have told Corey to shut up, but that would do no good. Corey said anything that came to his mind. If he stopped talking about nose hair, the next minute he would think up a weirder topic. The boy spent several seconds longer at the sinks. Wash hands, fix hair, straighten collars. Any minute checkup on their outer appearance that might buy a moment longer before the inevitable march back to class. As they worked, Corey hummed off-key to himself. Da-da-dum. 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 Dum-dum-dum. Finally, he tapped the counter twice with his fist. Vamos, muchacho. Brad followed Corey out, hands tucked into his front pockets. The bathroom door shut behind him, and he tossed his head from shoulder to shoulder. Always look both ways before crossing the courtyard, kids. Corey's thumb and forefinger captured the zipper of his jacket. He dragged it up and down, up and down. The beloved gray members only was part of his plan to achieve the Mel Gibson and lethal weapon look. The other part was growing out his rambunctious brown hair. Everything all set for tonight, he asked. Yep. Brad gave his friend a look. You're sure your parents are cool with it? Corey showed his teeth. No, but I told them we were going to work on our history project. We don't have a history project. Science? Nope. English? Yeah. Right, the English project. But we're not going to work on the English project? Brad only pretended to guess. He knew the answer. Exactly. Corey snapped his fingers. Brad smirked and shook his head in a manner usually reserved for adults. They shared sixth-period English lit, taught by Mr. Axe, formerly of Minnesota. His classroom was located in the corner opposite the bathroom. The boys walked in a neat diagonal line through the square courtyard. Corey entered first and sat at a desk in the back of the room. Brad sat next to him. Like most other classrooms at Daisy High, this one was kept three degrees too cold and lit by dim fluorescent bulbs. Paper posters of famous literary figures, Fitzgerald, Hemingway, Dickens, Shelley, Twain, hung crooked on the walls. A strange brown candle on the back shelf gave off the strong aroma of maple syrup. The boys engaged in hushed conversation, picking up threads of old discussions from the day's lunch period. The old man at the front of the class let them talk a while. He focused on the students in the first few rows of desks. Let the bad ones get comfortable first, then call them out on their behavior. That was the name of the game. Teachers like to fuck with people, too. Once Mr. Axe thought the young philosophers good and distracted by themselves, his eyes twinkled merrily. He peered over his spectacles with his chin jutted out. His face was chiseled and tanned in such a way he resembled Kirk Douglas. Hey, who's talking? 
A couple of kids smirked at his northern accent. They often did bad impressions of it behind his back. At the accusation, Brad knocked his hand against Corey's shoulder to shut him up. The two turned to face the chalkboard. Bradley, Corey, perhaps one of you could tell us what Fitzgerald meant by his quote on page 179. Corey snatched up his paperback copy of The Great Gatsby, the latest edition, because Daisy High puts your tuition money to good use, yes, sir. He thumbed through the pages with his brow furrowed. This was all a ruse. He cared nothing about the indicated passage and enjoyed testing his teacher's patience. Rule numero uno of English class. Time spent flipping through a book is time not spent listening to a lecture about the book. The routine lasted a few moments. Corey let loose a dramatic sigh and set his book down. Sorry, Mr. Axe. I know you value my opinion, but it looks like you're going to have to get a guess from somebody else this time around. Axe expected nothing more from Corey. Brad still set in the line of fire. Axe expected more from him because he sensed more hid behind the metaphorical curtain, if only Brad would put it to use. Since Brad had no answer, he did his best to appear remorseful for his actions. He shook his head and lowered it. Axe called on someone from the first row. A gorgeous girl with bold black hair sat at the desk immediately in front of Corey's. Once Axe's attention returned to the chalkboard, she turned around and peered over her glasses in mock scolding. Corey smirked and gave her seat a light kick. Brad did not so much as look at Corey again for the rest of the hour to show Mr. Axe what good attention he could pay when he wanted to. When the bell rang, he found himself stuck behind a sluggish, disorganized line of classmates. Axe's desk commanded a strategic position next to the door. By the time Brad passed the desk, the old man sat in wait. Brad came to a stop. Corey lingered in the doorway. Bradley, you're a good student. Axe rested his hairy forearms on his desk next to a handful of manila folders. You may not want to believe that about yourself, but you are. You are capable of so much, but your behavior in class lately is not helping you get anywhere. He paused, as if to reconsider. Well, everyone's going somewhere, don't you know? But you're headed the wrong way. You keep it up, you could become dangerously close to failing the semester. This essay I have assigned is due next week. I suggest you put in as much effort as is required in order to get yourself an A in the gradebook. Understand? Brad nodded. Yes, sir. Satisfied, Axe dismissed his student with a wave. Go on, get out of here. Your shadow, too. Corey frowned and flipped the bird. Axe flipped it right back. At the door, Brad paused and turned on his heels. Uh, Mr. Axe? Hmm? Exactly how much effort would you say is required to get an A? The twinkle in Axe's eyes returned. Brad saw a predatory animal sitting in place of his English teacher. I'll leave that up to you to decide, Bradley. Teachers like to fuck with people, too, don't you know? He left the classroom with Corey at his side. They walked to a row of lockers. Brad exchanged his backpack for baseball gear. Mall tonight, Corey asked, as if the idea were an irregular one. Yeah, sure. If not mall tonight, mall tomorrow. It was mall every weekend. Come visit Daisy, Texas. Find over five things to do. The boys walked a short distance from the classroom buildings to the fields behind the school. Baseball would not begin until next semester, but Brad liked to get a head start. October was the sweet spot of the year, when the Texas sun put a temporary end to its harsh ways. On the days when the football team stayed indoors to lift, the empty field was a perfect place to practice. Corey had never and would never involve himself in a team sport, but Brad needed someone to pitch to him and had few options. He took his place by one of the goalposts, and Corey pitched from a few dozen yards away. His throws often went too far to the left or too high. After a quarter of an hour of swinging yielded nothing impressive from either party, Brad called it a day. The quickest way for them to walk home was to skip past Daisy Middle and Daisy Elementary and cut straight through the woods. The creek was thin enough to jump at almost every point. 
The creek bed was dry this autumn, a trench filled with broken tree limbs and a few old tires, something for the kids to play army in. By the time they completed sophomore year, the creek would fill up again. They came out of the woods onto Bow Street. Bow Street set perpendicular to Crockett Lane, which would lead right to Brad's neighborhood when followed a little over half a mile. On the side of Bow Street where the woods lay, at the spot where the grass met the sidewalk, stood a worn wooden cross. It tilted slightly back, as if pointing at the creek. The cross read, In Memory of Nathan Heller, 1971-1979. Beyond Bow Street, a little way down Crockett Lane, there was a drive-in theater. The boys went at least once a month for the sci-fi double feature. The films shown were always several years old. This weekend, it was The Thing and Blade Runner. Joey, the establishment's sole employee, would greet them. How's it going, gents? Corey would give him a nod. Hey, Joey, the movie's any good this week? Joey would shrug. Wish I knew. I can't see the screens from back here. Then they would buy their usual two tickets and one large popcorn. Joey would provide them with fold-out chairs so they could watch the movies from the far side of the lot away from the parked cars. Beyond the drive-in, the road forked into three different paths. Brad's house was to the left. Corey lived down the middle. The right eventually turned from concrete to chalky white rock. The rocks led to the last of the town's rural areas, where several ranches still thrived. Past the ranches was Jordan, Daisy's sister town. Okay, so I'll see you in half an hour, Corey pointed at Brad. Yeah? Yeah, Brad nodded. Seriously, be ready. You're never ready when I come over. I'll be ready, Brad said, speaking loudly to accommodate for the growing distance between him and Corey. Brad thought his neighborhood looked best around autumn much like the courtyard and the football field. The haze which settles upon Texas in late July and never lets up until late September, at the earliest, was gone. The grass had yet to brown, but the yards didn't grow as fast. Instead of a push mower's roar, one might hear the sound of an occasional game of street basketball. Brad walked into his house. His mom always left the front door unlocked for him. He kicked off his tennis shoes without untying the laces. He dropped his backpack next to his shoes and almost tripped over a pair of half-naked Barbie dolls. Lisa, come get your crap out of the way. Lisa ran into the hall from the den to retrieve her dolls. She aimed her freckled face up at him. She smiled the smile she used to make adults think she was a precious piece of china glass. Guess what, Brad? I don't care what. Brad attempted to shove his way past her, a difficult task despite her small stature. Jen's coming over to babysit me tonight. With the declaration, Lisa's sweet disposition faded. The smile plastered on her face now radiated pure mischief. She hurried back to the den with a giggle, dolls still in hand. Jen can't be coming over today of all days. What kind of luck? Water splashed in the kitchen. Brad walked deeper into the house, intent on finding out if Lisa's announcement was true. He found his mom washing dishes and asked her. Yes, I got Jen to babysit for you and Lisa. Dad and I are going out tonight, remember? Mrs. Grayson said this without looking up from the dishes. She was already halfway dolled up for the night. Perhaps if Brad really tried... He could recall his parents mentioned something about an office party or a country club dinner. Were his parents even members of a country club? Semantics. He took notice of the way his mother included him in her statement. Me and Lisa? Mom, I'm 15. And? And I don't need a babysitter. His mother scoffed. Bradley, show me an A-plus on your next report card and a learner's permit in your wallet, and then I'll say you don't need a babysitter. She rinsed and dried her hands before she faced Brad. He had grown to be a foot taller than her in the past year, but still withered under her gaze. She looked like Lisa, only taller, older, and wearier. Her eyes seemed to always be on the search for trouble. You'd better be on your best behavior tonight, Bradley. I'm serious. Last time Jen was here, things were chaos. She told me everything. I want you down here writing that paper you have due next week on Dad's computer. 
No going upstairs to play the Addy Tar. Atari, Mom. Whatever it is, you don't need to be playing it tonight. I want to see your essay when I get back. After midnight? Don't pretend you won't still be awake. Brad hated when his parents dropped bombshells like that in the middle of an unrelated conversation. Oh, by the way, I know you stay up till all hours of the night, but I thought I'd wait to tell you until it helps me win an argument. Mrs. Grayson stated her final rule. And there will be no Corey over here either. Last time he virtually drove Jen up the wall. Go on then. She shoot him away. You might as well get started now. Get ahead of the game. Brad preferred not to make things harder on himself and gave up. He headed upstairs, but his intention was not to start his essay. He wanted to know what the nicest clean clothes he had in his bedroom might be. Once he discovered a suitable aqua blue polo shirt, not too fancy, not too casual, and not in desperate need of ironing, he threw it on. He glanced at his favorite poster, a still of Richard Dean Anderson in MacGyver. What do you think? Richard Dean Anderson gave no reply. Brad stayed in his room until he heard the doorbell ring. When he arrived downstairs, his parents stood at the door, dressed for the evening. His mother rattled off last-minute advice and requests to Jen. There's money on the counter to order pizza with. Don't worry about the dog. She's already got food in her bowl. Mrs. Grayson spotted Brad and gestured. Brad has an essay to write, but make sure he does it downstairs with the computer. If he goes upstairs, he's just going to play video games. Mrs. Grayson's orders came out so fast they sounded like one long sentence. Jen took them in stride with multiple nods of her head and the occasional, "Mm mm-hmm. Lisa called out from the den. Can we go to the movies? Mrs. Grayson hesitated a moment. That's up to Jen. If she wants to take you, then yes, you can. Nothing above PG. Bradley? I got it, Mom. All right, I think that's everything. Mrs. Grayson checked her watch. We should be home by 1230 at the latest. Thanks again. No problem. See you then. Bye, kids. With that, Brad's parents marched out for a rare night to themselves. Jen locked the door behind the Graysons and entered the den. She sank into the confines of the sofa. Her eyes drifted to the TV and fast approached a glaze. Lisa, who sat cross-legged two feet from the screen, shared the glaze. Brad stood behind the couch so he could stare at Jen. Sure, it made him no different than any other dumb boy with a crush, but could he help it? That dirty blonde hair sprayed heavily, a fading tan, stern hazel eyes. No, he most certainly could not help it. Don't be a loser. At least acknowledge her arrival. Uh, hi. Loser. Jen barely glanced up. Hey, Brad. How are you, he asked. Fine. Her voice betrayed the lie. Hell, everything about her did. Cold expression, body language. Brad liked to think he had an eye for these things. Before he could press for more details, a series of knocks came from the door. He could have sworn it was the tune of the same song a certain best friend hummed all day at school. Da-da-dum. 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 Dum-dum-dum. Who is that? Jen's head jerked toward the front hall. Lisa also looked perturbed. She turned up the volume on the TV. I'll get it. Brad jogged out of the den. The second he opened the front door, Corey shoved himself halfway inside. Come on, are we going to the mall or what? Brad held his palms flat against the door. Not anymore, see ya. Corey smirked. Jen's here, isn't she? A rhetorical question. Brad denied it anyway. No? Yes, she is. I saw your parents leave in the neighborhood, and there's another car out front. Engaging in a little risky business tonight, Grayson? Yes, exactly. Brad spotted the problem. Corey's leg planted inside the house. I'll tell you all about it tomorrow. Now get going. He kicked the leg and earned a curse from its owner. Corey pulled away long enough for Brad to slam and lock the door. He closed the shutters for good measure. Crisis averted. He returned to the den. Jen looked directly at him for the first time since she arrived. Who was at the door? Nobody. Wrong number. Before Jen could call him out on the obvious slip-up, 
Lisa pulled herself onto the couch. You want to go see a movie, Jen? Jen tossed her shoulders. I kind of want to stay inside tonight. We'll be inside at the movies. Lisa patted Jen's shoulder with both hands. Jen raised her brow. Brad watched as his little sister's sweet smile began to work its charm. What's playing? A cartoon that looks great. Jen glanced at Brad. He ducked his head and shrugged. The next he knew, she let out a final sigh and stood up. All right, I guess we can kill a couple hours. Go get your jacket. Lisa cheered and skipped upstairs. She returned moments later with a purple jacket on. Brad grabbed his own jacket and stuck his feet back into his shoes, again without touching the laces. He made a point to hold the door open for Jen on the way outside. She gave no thanks, too focused on finding the keys buried in her purse. Lisa bounded ahead of them. Shotgun! Oh, that's not fair. You're eight years old. Brad rushed to beat her to the passenger seat of Jen's mom's station wagon. A mischievous voice interrupted their tussle. Lovely day for a joyride. Son of a bitch! Jen jumped like Brad did whenever he watched a scary movie. Corey popped up from behind Mrs. Grayson's flower bed like a munchkin, his eyes alight. For a moment, Brad saw him as he had been in junior high. Corey skidded through the front lawn and stopped at the car. Where are you off to? Before Brad could answer, Lisa stepped forward. She liked to see Corey because he usually gave her candy or money. Jen's taking us to the movies. It's going to be fun. Corey patted the small girl's curly head. Boy, that does sound fun. He put two fingers to his temple, as if experiencing a revelation. Hey, how about I come? Brad waved dismissively. No, Corey, go home. And who are you? Jen asked. Corey stuck out his hand. Corey Garber, Brad's partner in crime. We've met before. How's it going? Jen did not shake Corey's hand or show she recognized him at all, for which Brad was grateful. It's going real shitty, thanks for asking. Can Corey come with us? Lisa gave a bashful smile. Corey pointed at Lisa. Listen to the kid, she knows best. He reached into his jacket and produced a piece of, of double bubble. There you go, Firestarter. Don't tell your mom. Jen shook her head. No, I'm not babysitting three kids tonight. But I'm meeting someone there, Corey whined. All I need is a ride. If I do go to the movies, I'll pay for my own ticket. Brad waited for Jen to turn Corey down. Instead, she sagged as if there was no fight left in her. He thought his day went bad. Hers must have been a real pain. Fine, get in. She jerked her thumb at the station wagon. Give me any grief, I'll throw you out onto the highway. Before Brad realized, Lisa slipped into the passenger seat and shut the door. He grunted as he slid into the back, followed by his troublemaking companion. The station wagon reached the highway just in time for rush hour. One minute, the car went 40, then 20, then up to 30, then almost to a full stop before hitting 40 all over again. Brad stared out the backseat windows to watch cars go by and the sun set behind numerous buildings. The drive to the mall lasted about a half hour. Further time was spent as Jen searched for a place to leave the car. It's Friday night and it's almost dinner time. There's not going to be any place to park. As usual, Brad found his valid point ignored. A glint washed over Jen's eyes as she jerked the wheel to the right. Sure there is, right here. The station wagon came to a halt. Brad and Corey hopped out of the car and stretched their legs. The latter noticed something amiss. Uh, isn't this a no-parking zone? He pointed at the letters on the curb. The faded paint read, no parking. Jen locked the car. That's just a suggestion. That's just a ticket waiting to happen. It's not your car, is it, Garber? There's no cops around. Let's go, inside. Jen motioned the kids forward. Corey chose to drop the subject. He appeared jubilant as he marched into the mall, a kind of shared bat cave for teenagers. To Brad, there was something mystical about the mall. The floors, walls, and ceiling were such an endless white, it was a wonder every person's whisper managed to echo, joining together with all the other whispers until they formed a scream. In a place like this, one seemed lost to existence, 
caught in loops of one-room stores where time had no meaning. Maybe the people who worked here thought different. They kept the secrets of the mall. They stayed inside once everyone else left. Sometimes that alone astounded Brad. The mall didn't feel like a place that ever closed. It felt like it should be alive 24 hours a day. Brad and Corey knew the way to several locations in the mall by heart. The theater was one such place. Through the main doors, past the arcade house, up the left stairwell. Jen and Lisa brought up the rear. The former bent her body to the left so she could hold Lisa's hand as they walked. Once or twice, the boys slowed to look in a store window. Jen refused to walk ahead of them. A red and black marquee at the theater's entrance listed the options a prospective moviegoer might choose from. The boys began to discuss the latest Freddy Krueger movie with enthusiasm. Jen shut them up when she bought four tickets to an animated film Lisa could see without being scarred for life. Brad and Corey walked into the theater first and elected to sit in the sixth row, not too far from the screen, not so close they would get a headache. They dropped into the two seats nearest the exit, forcing Jen and Lisa to squeeze past them in order to sit down. Man, if this is your idea of a good time, I'd hate to be here when you're not having fun. Brad gave Corey a mild glare. Why couldn't we ask her if the two of us could go to a different movie? Corey looked oddly content for how dull a situation he appeared to have landed in. He patted Brad's shoulder. Patience, my friend, we're going to do a lot more than that. Whatever secret plan Corey had in store was lost on Brad for the moment, as Jin picked that time to remind Corey he promised to pay for his own ticket. He had hoped she forgot. He sighed and produced a handful of crumpled ones from his pocket. Jin snatched the money up before he could change his mind and force her to wrestle it from him. When the feature presentation began, Lisa looked nowhere but the screen. For her part, Jen tried to watch and forget about whatever troubles plagued her. She cast occasional glances down the row at the kids to make sure they behaved. Brad and Corey settled into their seats and whispered a little at first, but soon began to nod off. Sometime later, a loud noise from the movie caused Brad to stir. His eyes fluttered open and he checked his watch. Less than an hour had passed. He rolled his eyes and elbowed Corey in the ribs. Corey stretched, sighed, and snorted before he opened his eyes. Popcorn, Brad asked. Corey stuck out his hand. In. Brad stuck out his hand and clapped it on top of Corey's. In. The boys did not stop at the concessions booth to buy popcorn. They left the theater without looking back. Brad knew Jen would be mad when she had to come looking for them, and he knew she would manage to find them. For all the fantastic attributes he saw in the mall, the place was smaller than it looked. He walked on anyway. In fact, he walked on faster. He had no words to defend his reasoning, because there was no real reason beyond his status as a rebellious teenage boy. That, and the call of Galaga. They passed the theater and went down the left stairwell to the arcade house. The Galaga machine sat in the farthest corner. On any given Friday night, the place would be packed with guys and some girls their age or younger. This night, the crowd was thinner than Brad expected, and no one occupied the Galaga machine at all. In the back of his mind, he realized this must mean the hour was later than he thought, but he refused to look at his watch again. He hurried to his game of choice before someone else could. He produced a handful of quarters. It was always smart to keep a few quarters in one's back pocket, just in case one of the three essentials, arcade games, vending machines, or payphones, presented themselves. Brad pushed in a quarter and the machine sprang to life. He gripped the joystick with his left hand and punched the red button with his right. He shoved the sounds of the other game consoles and the George Harrison song playing over the loudspeakers to the back of his mind. Corey leaned against the machine and watched the game progress. What's up, man? Brad got the vague sense of a new presence, but could not afford to look up from his pixelated enemy's flight patterns. As long as Jen hadn't caught them, he held no concern for the real world. Corey's voice answered the newcomer. Hey, Noonan, what are you up to? Noonan was the last name of a classmate of theirs, a boy with a big nose whose clothes never matched. 
He must have hated his first name because he always insisted everyone call him Noonan and just Noonan. Hey, Brad, how's it going? An absurd moment passed before Brad found his voice. Not now, I'm on stage 10. No other duo was like the one Brad and Corey formed, but if either of the boys had another best friend, Noonan was it. He knew how set Brad could get when playing Galaga and continued talking only to Corey. What brings you boys here? Corey chose to leave out the part about the babysitter. Brad's parents are out for the night. We're killing time until we think of something to do. Something to do, huh? Noonan grinned. Well, I did hear a couple seniors talking about a party of some kind later. Intriguing. A loud burst of sirens cut off their chit-chat. Brad jumped in place. He had come close to breaking his all-time score. The Galaga machine sped out a round of tickets. The three boys gathered them up and hauled them to the prize counter. The clerk fed the tickets into her own machine, which counted up the total. After receiving a jackpot stamp, the boys surveyed the prize shelves up close. They studied the cheap toys and souvenirs. Stuffed animals made from fabric about as soft as sandpaper. Buckets filled with mints and lollipops. Mock road signs with phrases like zombie Xing and do not enter, several which already hung in Brad's room with Richard Dean Anderson. The largest item their stamp let them afford was an unmarked cardboard box about the size of a blender. Brad thought he saw where a label had once been, but it was scratched off like someone thought no one would choose this prize if they knew its true identity. Still, he was bored of the same old trophies. This night's game went too well to squander on another road sign. In all likelihood, the box contained something useful, maybe a camping lantern for summer. Brad completed his selection. The box turned out to contain a strange 10-inch garden gnome. The gnome was dressed in all navy blue, complete with a wavy white beard, glasses, and a pointy brown hood. One hand grasped the hilt of a majestic silver sword, while the other waved at its new owner in greeting. Corey and Noonan scoffed at what they thought to be an awful way to waste a triumphant game. Perhaps still affected by the high of his win, Brad found the gnome comical. He threw away the box and tucked his prize under one elbow, against his ribs. The three boys marched single file from the arcade house. Nothing could stop them. Except Jen Thompson, with Lisa still attached to her hand. Brad would have liked to think she was passing the arcade house by chance, but decided he was more predictable than that. Jen's face was a storm. Lisa, who didn't get to finish her movie, looked just as dark. What do you think you're doing? Brad cleared his throat. Um, playing some arcade games? At least you're not lying. She'll probably just think you're being a smartass, but at least you're not lying. Jen looked capable of driving a stake up his nose without feeling remorse. Get in the car. We are going home. Brad fell into step with her. Corey and Noonan followed, the former explaining to the latter who Jen was and why she was giving them orders. Brad noticed Jen toss her head over her shoulder every few seconds to make sure he was still with her. She saw Corey and Noonan were following too. They were nuts if they thought she was letting them back into the station wagon. Brad guessed she would tell them to walk back to the other side of town, or hitch a ride, or stay in the mall forever. They had a lot of options, actually, enough for her to feel no guilt about leaving them behind. The mall's automatic doors slid open and revealed the last of the sunset to be gone and the sky a dark blue. The parking lot was lit by numerous lampposts scattered across the lot. Brad thought of the scene in Back to the Future when Marty McFly meets Doc Brown at Twin Pines Mall and sees the DeLorean for the first time. Jen pulled up the zipper on her jacket and produced her mom's car keys from her purse. She pressed the button for the honk. No sound came from the near-empty lot. She squinted and studied each section of the lot with a careful eye, like she could have missed it. Where did we park? Guys, where did we park? Brad pointed to the left. I think it was over there. Jen groaned. Oh, really? So what, it's just gone? 
No other explanation appeared evident. The spot where they stood was the exact place they entered the mall. Brad knew because the arcade house was his landmark. A few cars still remained in the lot, but none were station wagons. Even if they were, Jen had parked far to the left, against the curb. Against the curb. Brad began to understand what must have happened. Jen began to pace back and forth while everyone else watched. Brad worried she might lose it. If she did, all responsibility for getting home fell on his shoulders, since the person who suggested they leave in the first place was his little sister, and he doubted Corey or Noonan would step up. Actually, it was probably best if neither of them did. My mom's car is gone. My mom's car is gone. Jen repeated the phrase over and over, as if unable to comprehend her bad luck. My mom's car is gone. Where did it go? Who knows, but it's gone. Is your mom's car gone? Corey was clearly enjoying himself. Jen glared broadswords at him. A growl escaped her. Take a dump in your hand and slap yourself, you little asshole. Noonan chuckled. Wow, I like her. You know, maybe if you hadn't insisted on parking in a no-parking zone. Brad cut Corey off with a slap on the arm before the argument could escalate. What am I supposed to do now? Jen seemed willing to hear from anyone with an answer to give, but no one had one. She reverted back to pacing. Check it out. Noonan grinned and pointed, conspicuous as ever. Brad followed his gaze. A pink convertible set under a lamppost some yards away. A girl stood next to it. Corey and Noonan started to walk to the car. He glanced at Jen. She was busy consoling his sister as Lisa complained about the cold. Brad wondered if they would be stranded for as long as a couple hours. He thought Jen would wait to call his parents as a last resort. Maybe she would call a taxi. Maybe... Crap. Brad's eyes had wandered over to the payphone that stood next to the mall's entrance. He saw a crumpled piece of paper taped over the box. The handwriting was sloppy, but the message unmistakable. Out of order. Maybe Jen would be calling no one. Time to improvise, then. No sense in staying around waiting for nothing to happen. Better to move forward than not move at all, and all that good stuff. Brad jogged to catch up with his friends. I believe that's Leah Pearson. Noonan pointed for the second time. Corey nodded. Sure is. Delight washed inside Brad as he saw they were right. Leah Pearson was the only girl Brad had known before puberty who still bothered to talk to him. Even back then, she was the most beautiful girl he had ever seen. Brad had left the county only a handful of times in his life and never once left the state, but couldn't imagine finding someone like Leah anywhere. A certain quality Brad observed in her actions elevated her above all others. No one had to earn her starlight smiles. She just liked to give them out. Dylan, the special boy who had to be taught in a separate classroom but still walked the halls with everyone else, received enthusiastic greetings from her, where most kids ignored him. Plus, she talked to him, Brad Grayson, as if he was her equal. Oh, she never ate lunch with him or anything. If she ever did that, it would be grounds for something like an excommunication from the Church of Cool Kids. But after all this time, she was still nice to him, and niceness is not as cheap as people make it seem. Leah sat with a cigarette between her teeth on the hood of the convertible. She was, in fact, doing this to warm her body from the butt up. Brad could tell because the car's engine was running and the lights were on. Leah pretended not to notice them approach until Corey jogged to the last few steps, visibly excited. Hey, you Pearson. He grinned like a child. Hey, yourself, Garber. Leah smiled. Her eyes, magnified by glasses she wore with ease, reflected the light of the nearby lampposts. On the surface, Corey saw Leah much the same as Brad, but something else was there that probably should have been acknowledged a long time ago. He took it personally when she stopped eating lunch with them in junior high and spent a long time trying to figure out a way to bring her back. Brad would have told him there was no way. Once the cool kids snatch somebody up, they're gone for good. But Corey would never have listened, so Brad said nothing 
and was forced to watch a painful two-year process in which Corey would approach Leah at all the wrong times, saying, Hey, Leah, you want to eat lunch with me and Brad today? And suffer the consequences. Get lost, assface. She's sitting with us like every other day. Stubborn as he was, Corey could take only so many hits. By eighth grade, he accepted defeat. Sure, there was that something else, still in the way he looked at her, still yet to be brought up, but maybe that wouldn't have to matter. How's it going? Leah asked. It's going. Corey leaned against the convertible's hood a safe distance away from her and admired the car. Am I crazy, or has the daughter of a police officer committed Grand Theft Auto? It's Larry's, and you know it. Bummed it off her for the night. Leah threw a wave at Brad and Noonan. Hi, boys. Brad and Noonan waved back. Brad opted to stand a couple feet away from the car. He attempted to hide his gnome behind his back. On more than one occasion, Brad had asked Corey how he managed to do that with Leah. Talk so easily, so lightly. Corey never knew the answer. Maybe there was no tangible explanation. Still, Brad wished he could do that with Jen. Sure, he was a sophomore in high school and she was in college, but to his 15-year-old mind, there were crazier things that could happen. Jen was considered a family friend, which of course meant Mrs. Grayson and Miss Thompson were good friends, and the rest of the Graysons were voluntold to spend time with the Thompsons once or twice a month. During all those visits, Jen never had a friendly word to say to Brad. Not that she acted cruel to him, just indifferent. Until the dance. It happened the first week of his freshman year. He went bowling with Corey and Noonan. The alley had a small dance floor with a jukebox. Jen appeared out of the blue the moment a slow song started to play. She asked him to dance, and they did. He would never have said no. They hadn't shared a word about it since. But what else could Brad think? It had to mean something, he told himself over and over. He had explained the situation to Corey, who remained doubtful. Maybe Jen liked Brad. Maybe she felt shy and kept from admitting it outright. Best not to dwell on it for now. Brad saw Jen and Lisa making their way over. Upon their arrival, Leah cooed over Lisa the way most people tended to do. Corey smiled at the sight. Jen began to reprimand them again. What are you two doing? I've lost my mom's car, which means you've lost transportation. The least you could do is help. Brad spread his arms out. He gestured wildly, as if telling Jen to point out how to improve the situation. The car's gone. What do you want us to do? Leah snapped her fingers to gain the attention of everyone present. Hi, girl with car here. If you want a lift, I can take you as far as the Henderson's neighborhood. There's a party there tonight. Jen threw Leah a dirty look. Do you even have a license? Leah fired back with complete confidence. Learner's permit, same thing. Not at all, actually. Corey grinned. Hey, the nice lady is offering to help us. I, for one, vote we accept. Jen rolled her eyes. Yeah, you would. Corey jumped into the convertible without using the door. His left foot hung too low, and he tumbled into the back seat. He hurried to sit up and brush down his jacket and hair, hoping no one noticed. Everyone did. Leah caught his attention and crossed her eyes. Corey stuck out his tongue in return. One of the last things Brad could imagine Jen wanting at a time like this was to drive to a party. But at least they would be going somewhere besides the mall, which had done them no favors. Maybe we can get a ride home from there. He looked at her with sincerity. Jen sighed and aimed her head up at the sky, perhaps to offer a silent prayer. Fine. Noonan called shotgun. Brad sat beside Corey. Jen entered last with Lisa on her leg. A tight squeeze, but they all fit. All right, let's motor, Leah declared. She revved her sister's engine and peeled out of the parking lot. Her thumb rolled across the radio's dial and she whooped upon hearing sunglasses at night. The volume went up several notches. If there is one particular activity almost anyone off the street will say they find enjoyable, it is driving on a clear night. 
As Brad learned just then, driving at night in a convertible is even better. It is almost like flying. With the car screeching at 50 miles an hour past random buildings, Brad's eyes were half shut against the wind. Those buildings may as well have been clouds and the car an open-topped aerial vehicle. His ears did not merely hear the song on the radio. The notes sailed to them on waves of air, rushing through his hair and thumping against his shirt. He might have laughed. There was too much noise to tell. The convertible pulled up to the curb of a house whose windows radiated warm orange light. Loud rock and roll could be heard from inside, though with the limited range of the stereo's speakers, to Brad it was a consistent pattern of bump, bump, bump. Someone had decorated the front yard with a generous amount of toilet paper and even a few eggs. Shouts came from the backyard. Something hit the fence, invisible from the front of the house, and the shouts grew louder. Jen stepped out of the car and left Lisa in her seat. Okay, she pointed at Brad. If you move an inch, I swear I will end you. I'm going to go inside and see if I can call my friend for a ride home. Jen took Lisa and marched up to the front porch and rang the doorbell. No one heard. She tested the knob, found the door unlocked, and let herself inside. The moment the door closed, Corey, Noonan, and Leah leapt from the convertible. Brad? Corey's eyes were expectant. Brad started to stand up in the convertible's back seat, then paused. In the last couple of hours, he had troubled Jen by leaving the theater to go to the arcade and running off to chat with the girl instead of help her find a way to get home. By the rules of his sport, that was two strikes, and he was almost out. He liked Jen, and he would score no points with her by behaving this way. If he disobeyed her orders a third time, oh, who the hell are you kidding? He wanted to go check out this party. If this were any other night, and his parents hadn't gone out, he and Corey would have ended up at this point anyway. They would still have gone to the mall, found Noonan at the arcade house, and happened upon Leah. Then she would have suggested they go to the party for kicks. If he could do all those things in that alternate reality, why not do it in the reality he found himself stuck in? Before his other side could argue any further, Brad walked out of the convertible. The Henderson's backyard was enrapturing chaos. An abominable aroma of smoke, beer, and what Brad thought must be marijuana wafted through the air. The thick mixture created a haze surrounding the teenagers as they danced, drank, and swam. Brad remembered the fog, shown at the drive-in a few years back, and chuckled at the idea of a version of the movie where the monsters inside the fog were drunk and stoned teenagers. We've come to wreck your yard, haha. While he observed the party, Corey unbuckled his jeans. Anybody feel like going for a dip? Noonan supported the suggestion by stripping off his shirt. His chest was hairy and his belly would one day turn into a beer gut. Leah followed suit, removing her sweater and jeans. Her pale skin glowed in the moonlight and none of her companions could bear to avert their eyes. She noticed her audience and snapped, Guys, don't watch me. The three boys instantly began to look anywhere else. Brad mumbled a weak apology. He couldn't help but notice Leah's complaints sounded half-hearted and supposed anyone in their right mind would secretly enjoy getting stares like those. He sure wished he could attract a few. You coming, Brad? Corey and Noonan were down to their boxers. Brad shook his head. He wanted to go swimming, sure, but thought he liked this party less than expected. Bad enough to deal with seniors, but half the people here belonged in college. On top of everything, Jen would soon find they left the car, and he wanted to be dry and dressed when she came searching. His three friends jumped into the pool, which must have been heated to attract so many people. Leah knew some of the seniors playing water volleyball and joined in the game. Noonan, ever the enthusiast, did his best to follow suit. Corey waited closer to the shallow end in an attempt to appear cool and collected. Maybe it was the team sport, something he always sucked at. Maybe he was scared of the seniors, who weren't just cool kids but older cool kids. Maybe both. Either way, he wanted nothing to do with the game. Brad sat on the edge of the pool steps to soak his bare feet. 
he kept one nervous hand on his gnome. Leah swam away from the volleyball game and pulled herself out of the pool. Many nearby watched. She walked to the nearest cooler, retrieved two cans of beer, and returned to sit beside Brad. She held one out to him. He shook his head. Beer tastes like shit. It's an acquired taste. Leah jutted her chin forward to mimic Mr. Axe giving a lecture. Which is another way of saying people just drink it till they get used to how shitty it tastes. Leah placed the beer intended for him between them and popped open her own can. Right you are. She bent her head backward and began to chug. Halfway through, she ran out of breath and tossed the can aside. With a whoop, she launched herself into the pool head first. When she came back up, she waved at Brad. Come on, Brad, come in. No. Come on. I can't. Noonan waited up beside Leah. Brad, I literally do not understand the amount of willpower you must have to reject joining a half-naked girl for a swim. A grin began to form at the corners of Brad's mouth. He tried to conceal it and did a terrible job. Leah continued to wave him in with her irresistible smile, tossing her hair and acting as flirtatious as the movies had taught her a pretty girl should act. Fine, Brad stood up. You want me to come in, I'll come in. He began to remove his shirt. Jen appeared beside him. He groaned. Crap. She aimed her finger at his face. If you even remove one sleeve of that shirt, I'll rip your eyes out. Before Brad could answer, an object flew out of nowhere and smashed into the garden gnome. The poor statue shattered into several pieces at his feet. He wailed in distress. Hey! His friend surveyed the mess from the pool. Noonan picked up the offending object, a large stone, one of a dozen lining Mrs. Henderson's flower bed. The perpetrator ran over, a goofy smirk on his face. His name was Joseph. He was one of the boys who spent all of junior high making sure everyone learned Brad and Corey deserved to be called losers and fags. What the hell, man, Brad said. Joseph grinned like a dope. It was anyone's guess how drunk he might be. Corey left the pool to insert himself into the situation, Leah and Noonan close behind. He guarded the distance between Brad and Joseph. The last thing he wanted was a fight. In a fight, it was his job to back Brad up, and Corey would if he had to, but that hardly meant he wanted to. Just forget it, okay? He's a prick, but we can win another one tomorrow. Forget it. What'd you say? Corey realized his mistake and regret washed over him. He turned to face Joseph, who had blind fire in his eyes. Uh, what? Joseph took a step closer. His breath reeked. He loomed over Corey by several inches. Just now, you little shithead, what'd you say? Corey found himself out of smart remarks, and everyone saw it. Leah's left hand reached for his wrist and took it in her fingers. No telling if she planned to pull Corey away when Joseph lunged, or take the guy on herself. In any case, her gesture only further complicated the situation. Corey's ears turned pink at her hand's iron grip. He said you were a prick. Brad barely realized the words left his mouth until his friend's heads all turned on him. Joseph's glare shifted to him. That was okay. Brad almost matched the older boy in height. He clenched his fist and tried not to let his accelerating heartbeat affect his breathing. And he's right. You've always been a prick, and I should have said so a lot sooner. Brad spared a glance at his friends. Noonan appeared shocked. Corey's wide eyes begged him to back down before Joseph slaughtered them both. And Leah, for a moment disregarding the danger, looked proud. This kept Brad from shrinking away. He took a step forward so he and Joseph were even closer. Brad heard Corey whisper to Leah, We're all going to die. Probably so. Or maybe not. Think Richard Dean Anderson. Brad hooked his right arm forward and struck Joseph in the nose with a cry of vengeance for his dead gnome. The punch sent Joseph reeling backward. Combined with the alcohol, it must have been too much. He made no move to rise up from the ground. Brad stared at his own hand in awe. His knuckles began to throb, but a victorious smile broke through the pain. 
A beat of silence passed, and everything went back to normal around them. Maybe it had stayed normal the whole time. Only Jen and his friends looked at him, their faces mixtures of disbelief and admiration. Before Brad knew it, Leah cheered and threw her arms around him. Dude, you're a badass, Noonan cried. Corey did nothing, only because he didn't know what to do. Lisa hugged Brad in a rare moment of mutual brother and sister triumph. Jen didn't plant a kiss on Brad like he might have hoped, but she did smile. He found it a positive smile. The three who went swimming retrieved their clothes, and the group filed out of the backyard one by one. In the front yard, the haze of the party cleared away, and they were in the real world again. Corey used his pointer finger to push an imaginary pair of spectacles out the bridge of his nose. You know, this reminds me of the English project. Some quote from the book about careless people and cleaning up the mess they've made, or something. Corey Garber, Leah smiled. Are you trying to tell me you paid attention in class today? Corey pursed his lips and let out a psh. No, of course not. Must have slipped in there by accident. Lisa yawned and rubbed her eyes. Where are we going? Jen pointed to a sedan parked across the street. It must have just arrived, as the driver hadn't exited the car. I called my friend. She's going to drive us home. Brad and Corey's faces fell, because the night was over. Noonan stuck out his hand for Brad to shake. I'm going to tell everybody about tonight, man. Brad nodded, unsure what to think. Okay. Leah threw one arm around Brad and the other around Corey. Well, this was fun, boys. I'll see you when I see you. Yeah, Corey smiled. But Brad knew the next time they saw Leah, they wouldn't even be able to talk about tonight. She kissed Brad's cheek and almost did the same to Corey when she seemed to realize she couldn't. Corey looked disappointed but settled for an extra hug. Let's motor, Leah declared to Noonan. They jumped into the pink convertible and sped away, on the search for another mall or party. Brad and Corey sat in the back seat, and this time Lisa had to join them so Jen could take shotgun while her friend drove. Brad checked his watch. His parents would be home in about an hour. He and Jen would make it back just in time to ensure the house was clean and get Lisa into bed without raising suspicion. Corey would invite himself to spend the night on Brad's floor. If he went home this late, his parents would smack him upside the head. You could have gone with them, you know. Brad nudged his friend, who tried to pretend like he wasn't about to doze off. Huh? Corey straightened up. Yeah, I know. It's okay, I don't mind. I'll see her again soon enough. No more discussion took place on the drive home. Eddie Money crooned on the radio. Jen turned back to check on the kids twice, and both times softened. Maybe she had lost the energy to be angry. Corey went back to napping, and Brad followed him. Lisa was asleep, lying across her brother's lap. The Grayson house carried the faint beginnings of the empty aroma a house always holds when no one has lived in it for a while. Brad reminded himself they were only gone a few hours. While Jen thanked and bid goodbye to her friend, he and Corey began to dig through the refrigerator. Their lack of a dinner had caught up with them. Luckily, there were plenty of leftovers from the meals Mrs. Grayson had cooked all week. Enchiladas in the microwave for 60 seconds, and voila. Restaurants were for suckers when your mom was a good chef. The boys got a short time to eat before Jen sent them upstairs to Brad's room in case his parents came home early. Brad excused himself to shower, and when he returned, Corey had prepared a makeshift sleeping bag on the floor of his room. Lisa's bedroom door was closed. The sound of the small portable fan she liked to fall asleep to buzzed gently. Want to play Atari? I would, man, but I can barely keep my eyes open as it is. Corey rubbed his palms across his face for emphasis. Thump. Both boys' heads jerked up at the sound. Thump. Brad walked over to his window and threw open the curtains. He found a pair of eyes staring back at him from the other side of the glass and jumped backwards toward his bed. Corey erupted into a fit of chuckles. Brad groaned at himself. It's open. Leah lifted the window just far enough to shimmy inside. 
Hiya, guys. Corey suddenly appeared awake and alert again. Hey, Pearson, what are you doing here? Leah shut the window behind her, kicked off her shoes, and invited herself onto Brad's bed. Well, the weirdo had to go home, and I realized how young the night is. Thought I'd drop by and spend some more quality time with my boys. Cool. Corey dropped onto the edge of the bed so his body was perpendicular to hers. Great, actually. Here it was again, Brad saw. The thing that had never been acknowledged, and almost definitely should have been, a long time ago. The difference this time, he supposed, was it no longer appeared one-sided. He sensed it radiating from Leah as much as Corey. The circumstances probably should have bothered him, because no matter how things turned out, they would turn out messy for someone. But he wasn't bothered much at all. Mr. and Mrs. Grayson arrived a little after midnight. Both looked happy. The mood wouldn't last, but it never did with parents. We're home. Brad? Up here, Mom. Brad walked to the edge of the stairs where Jen stood. She probably came up to warn him, since he wasn't allowed to have anyone over this late without permission, and this time it would be her who got the blame. His bedroom door was shut. He just hoped Corey and Leah made no noise. Mrs. Grayson exchanged pleasantries with Jen first. She inquired about Lisa's evening and gave her the money she was owed. Jen tucked it into her purse, along with the money Corey gave her for his movie ticket and the money meant for ordering pizza, an acceptable bonus for the night's troubles. Once his mom was satisfied, Brad felt the metaphorical red target etch itself onto his forehead. All right, where's your essay? A pregnant pause. My what? Your essay, Bradley. Brad barely refrained from screaming out obscenities. He had expected his mother to interrogate him about his behavior, maybe about Corey and whether or not his friend had come over. He'd forgotten all about his essay. Could he really be expected to remember, given everything that happened since his parents left? Of course, explaining the truth would only make the situation worse. I, um, I, I didn't do it. His mother looked less than surprised, like she had spent all night preparing the visage of disappointment on her face. Why, Bradley? Why can't you ever complete one simple job you're given? I don't know what to do anymore. Jen stepped forward from where she had awkwardly watched the conversation unfold. I have to be honest, Mrs. Grayson. I've been going through a hard time, with college and everything. I really haven't even been in the right shape to babysit. Brad is so sweet, he's been comforting me all night. Poor guy didn't know what he was getting into. I never gave him a chance to break away and write his paper. Brad's eyes bulged at Jen's lie. The shock on his face would not help his case, but the battle to hide it was a losing one. His mother, likewise, appeared surprised. A different, better kind of surprised. Is that right? She observed her son. Brad nodded in a hurry. Yes, ma'am. Mrs. Grayson beamed. She patted Brad's arm once and walked downstairs. A false moment, Brad told himself, but the joy was difficult to submerge. His mother hadn't looked so proud of him in a long time. Brad met Jen's gaze. Her eyes seemed to speak. A moment of understanding passed between them. Vulnerably, Brad announced his feelings for her, and in turn, Jen assured him she was okay with them. Then she went downstairs. Brad joined Corey and Leah in his bedroom. The three of them, together like they never were anymore. His friends assumed his return meant their position remained uncompromised. They began to whisper and laugh with one another. Brad sat down at his desk. He stared at the blank sheet of white paper he would have to type something on by Monday. A finger jabbed at his shoulder to jar him from his trance. Hey, you awake? Corey asked. Brad shrugged without turning around. Yeah, I was just thinking. Why would she ever dance with me if it meant nothing? And why can't I ever know? Silence. Brad imagined Corey and Leah were looking at one another sharing secret thoughts about their best friend and his troubles. Jen danced with him on a dare, probably, just to get a laugh out of her friends. No, the other would reply, ever the optimist. He was sitting all alone. She did it out of the kindness of her heart. 
Brad's bed squeaked. He got the impression Corey threw his arms up into the air. Who cares, Corey said. Dude, you danced with a senior as a freshman. You realize only like three people have ever done that in the history of the world? You were a legend for that, man. You still are. Brad let a grin on his face. I am that, aren't I? Absolutely, Leah chimed in. Brad heaved a sigh, harboring all the stresses of the evening. He loaded the paper into the rickety old typewriter that once belonged to his dad. When he fell asleep, he dreamed he was trapped at the bottom of the creek bed. A pair of gnarled hands reached out from the dark to make sure he stayed there forever. He woke with a start, found he had a crick in his neck, and realized he fell asleep at his desk. The typewriter still held a blank page, which glared at him. He rubbed with the sleep from his eyes and checked the clock. Almost six. Saturday morning. He opted to climb into bed and sleep a few more hours. This plan was shot down when he turned around and recognized the shapes of Corey and Leah lying on top of the sheets. Clearly, they hadn't moved since he started writing. Or rather, started trying to write. Corey lay on his back, arms folded behind his head. Leah lay on her side, facing him, right hand draped over his chest and left entangled in his hair. She had always liked his hair. Brad stood up and stretched. He preferred the couch in the game room to his bed anyway. He had spent many a night there. Before he could walk out, a soft voice spoke. Did you see the time? Leah sat up, careful not to wake Corey. Yeah, almost six. Well, come on then. Leah threw her legs over the side of the bed and tiptoed to the window. She eased it open. It creaked only a little. Brad frowned. Come on where? The sun will be coming up any minute now. Half of Leah's body was already outside. The night's almost over. Come see. Brad's every muscle felt too exhausted to care about looking at the sunrise, but Leah's excitement was contagious. For as long as he had known her, she always displayed a childlike delight in the simplest of things. The world might have long since become a better place if more people could share that delight. He climbed out the window, careful not to slip and scrape his open skin against the roof shingles. He settled into a sitting position. Next to Leah, he should have appeared a giant, but his legs dangled over the gutter and his back arched with nothing to lean against, so they looked roughly the same height. Directly below them was the backyard. The concrete patio extended past the reach of the roof shade and into the yard. It encircled a pool much smaller than the one at the Henderson's house. Beyond the splinter-coated wooden fence was the rest of suburban America. The roofs of the houses looked like mountaintops against the purple clouds. The first hint of a scarlet sunrise illuminated the trees, whose green leaves had begun to brown. Once those leaves fell off their branches, one would be able to see the screens of the drive-in theater a couple blocks away. The trees eventually faded into a paper-thin line of gold, the lights of the city Daisy called its neighbor. Though barely visible on the horizon, the gold kept nearly every star in the sky from view. It was as if the night sky was God's plan for the universe, and the city was man's alternate plan, and one could not coexist with the other. Brad planted his chin in his hands, finding them clammy from the early morning temperature. He tried not to think of essays or baseball or his dance with Jen. Leah leaned slightly into him. Beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, I don't get enough nights like this. Mm, me neither. Brad studied her. Her body aimed forward almost too far, like a baby bird desperate to fly. A gentle gust of wind blew several loose strands of hair around her cheeks. Her eyes shone bright, maybe brighter than any other light in view. To him, she and the night were one. She was a lamp in a dark cave, but she was brighter than that. A bowl of ripe, freshly picked blackberries in the heat of summer, but sweeter than that. Her presence was an intangible comfort for any worry which befell him. In his ever-changing world, she was the only person who made him feel like somehow everything would be okay in the end. Brad wasn't in love with Leah, though for the first few weeks after they met, he wondered if he was. 
Hell, if they were honest, every guy in his class had entertained the idea before. No, Brad's love for Leah was something different, maybe even greater than romantic. He would do anything for her, even if she didn't return the sentiment. He felt worse off for not being near her, and better for when he was. Man, it's freezing. What are you guys doing out here? Corey's front half leaned out the window. His hair looked like someone did a terrible job of skinning a small furry animal. Leah smiled, watching the sun rise, but we're done now. Corey looked pleased they were all awake. I want breakfast. How about Don's? Still tired, Brad decided he could always nap later in the day. A bit of the night's euphoria remained in him, and he wanted to chase it a while longer. I'm up for that. Leah jerked her thumb at the window. Her sister's convertible would be parked at the curb somewhere to the right of the Grayson's house. Not me. I need to get that firebird home before my dad wakes up. Brad would have offered to walk her down to the front door, but Leah would laugh at such a ridiculous suggestion. The window was the obvious choice. She reached her arms forward, standing on her tiptoes for a little more leverage. She placed one arm around Brad's shoulders and the other around Corey's. I love my boys. We love you too, Corey said immediately. Brad nodded his head against Leah to let her know he echoed the sentiment. She broke the embrace and walked back to the window. She waved. Au revoir. Brad and Corey returned the wave, and just like that, she slipped away. Brad decided to take a quick shower. He changed into a fresh t-shirt and jeans. Corey opted to stay in yesterday's clothes, without a shower. The two boys left, just as the sunrise reached its peak. They made their way down the sidewalk at a slow pace, kicking acorns as they went. Don's was an old cafe built in the nifty 50s. Everything about it still spoke fondly of the era. The gravel lot was filled each morning with Harley-Davidson motorcycles. Beside the cafe's entrance was a blue newspaper rack and a Coke machine with a bottle opener on the side. Inside, the gruff bearded bikers sat at the bar next to a gumball machine. Chains hung from their pants. Their tree trunk arms were covered in tattoos. They kept their sunglasses on so one could hardly tell what they were looking at, though Brad suspected it was the butt of the waitress refilling their coffee. Howdy, one said. Brad and Corey gave slight nods and kept walking. They passed a booth with rips in the leather seats and sat down at a two-person table. Every tablecloth in the cafe was printed with black-and-white photographs of Don and his family at various stages of life and of the diner itself in its full glory. Across the room sat a jukebox, playing an old hit by the Crystals. The waitress who took their order was young and pretty. This was unusual. Most of the waitresses at the cafe were as old as the bikers. Her eyes were dark brown, and the curls framing her face were like burnt sienna that one color in the 120-color crayon box no one ever used but liked to look at. After a moment, Brad realized he had seen her before at a baseball game, cheering for the team opposing his. She was probably about his age. What can I get you gentlemen this fine morning? She had a pleasant southern accent. Bacon and cheese omelet and a side of toast. Corey handed her his menu. And a Coke. The waitress jotted notes on her small, well-worn pad. And for you, sir... Brad became aware he had stared at her since she first approached their table and taken not so much as a glance at his menu. Uh, he scanned the options quickly. Biscuits and gravy, side of bacon, and he swallowed. And a chocolate shake. The waitress wrote his order down under Corey's. Okie doke, be right back with your drinks. She turned and walked through the door to the kitchen. As it swung open, the sound of clattering pans and the hiss of grilling meat could be heard. Brad watched her go, since her back was turned and she wouldn't see him looking. Corey did. She's cute. Whether or not he thought so, though he surely did, was irrelevant. That wasn't the reason he said it. He said it because he could tell Brad thought so, and he wanted a reaction. Yeah, really cute. So, ask her out. What, now? Corey rolled his eyes. 
Well, since you have no clue when you're going to see her again, I'd say yeah, now. Of course, his best friend was right. Normal people acted this way. They didn't sit around and pine after someone like they couldn't have them, when in reality they didn't know for sure one way or the other. Not until they tried. Okay, how should I do it? Corey flicked a stray crumb off the table. I don't know, make something up. Get her number. Ask what time she gets off. Or leave her a giant tip, say $20, so she'll know you like her. Then come back in a couple hours and exchange some banner over it. What? No, that's weird. She'll just think I'm trying to buy her or something. And? She's not a hooker, Corey. Corey held up his right pointer finger. He wore that familiar expression of his which said, I'm about to be a smartass and I'm going to enjoy it. First of all, you technically don't know that. Second, I'm just trying to help. If you don't like my ideas, don't use them. He twisted around in his seat as the sounds of the kitchen temporarily flooded the room again. Here she comes with the drinks. You ready? I guess. This was a lie. Brad couldn't have felt less ready. Her name's Trish, by the way. The waitress arrived with a glass of Coke and a chocolate shake. As she placed them in front of the boys and produced two straws from her pocket, Brad checked out her name tag himself. Perched just above her left breast, it had once said, Hi, I'm Trish. It appeared she had scratched out the first word with a sharpie and wrote her own greeting. Sup, I'm Trish. Brad suppressed a smirk. Focus. He needed to come up with something fast. Before he could speak, Trish spoke for him. Can I get either of you anything else while you wait for your food? Ice pack, perhaps? She gave Brad a sly look, aiming the inquiry at him. Ice pack? Brad was bewildered. For your hand, cowboy. Brad glanced down at his right hand, the one he used to punch Joseph. His knuckles were bruised, but not so darkly it was obvious. He was surprised she noticed. Now that she had, he became concerned she might get the wrong impression about him. Oh, uh, it was, wasn't, I mean, it was nothing like, hey, it's all right. She smirked at his flustering. Never cared much for Joseph anyways. Brad and Corey's eyes instantly met. Trish either missed it or pretended to. Be right back with your food. She once again left the boys alone. Brad shouted with a whisper. Dude, she was at the party. Yeah, no kidding. Corey rolled his eyes. That changes everything. You've got this now, right? That's your opening? Yeah, yeah, I got it. Trish returned several minutes later with two plates of food. Here you are. Careful, they're hot. You were at the party last night? Brad asked. No. Trish gave him a blank look. I was having a girls' night at my friend's house. Brad caught on after a moment. Oh, you mean that's your alibi? No, it's the truth. Right, I get it. She left them to their breakfast. Brad's right leg bounced under the table as he anticipated how him asking her out might go. He ate anxiously, which meant he ate rapidly. Usually, Corey was the first of the two of them to finish a meal. He grew up with brothers as a constant competition for seconds. This time, first place belonged to Brad. Once their plates were empty, Trish took them away and gave them two checks after they verified they would pay for their orders separately. When she came back to collect, Corey made a motion with his hand that could have translated to something like, hurry up, you're burning daylight. Brad pretended not to see. Instead, he focused on holding out a $5 bill for the tip. Trish took it and bid them good day. Corey all but had an aneurysm in his seat as he mouthed incomprehensible urges at Brad. Brad's last chance was almost shot. His heart beat out of his chest. Part of him would have liked to vomit up the wretched organ and be done with it, but the other part reminded him he wasn't that person anymore. The new Brad Grayson punched the lights out of college guys and made his mother proud and didn't shy away from asking out pretty waitresses. He was like Richard Dean Anderson. Gnome! Trish stopped short. She turned around with a crinkle in her brow. I'm sorry? Corey promptly face-palmed. Brad wanted to do the same. Gnome? Uh, Joseph? He broke my gnome last night. I won it at the arcade in the mall. No, by all means, keep talking. Oh, 
Trish said warily. Sorry to hear that. In retrospect, he could really work on his opener, but Brad had already started and didn't feel like stopping. We were going to try to win another one today, and, well, if you'd like to come, that'd be cool. Bravo, Grayson. Take a damn bow. Trish squinted. Brad got the sense she might be a mind reader. He held his breath without realizing. I get off at noon. She returned to the kitchen without another word. Brad blinked in surprise. Wait, really? So that's a yes? He looked at Corey and repeated himself. Is that a yes? Corey appeared to be in a state of mild paralysis. Once he shook himself out of it, he said, I can't believe it, but yeah, I think it is. Congratulations, my friend. You just got yourself a date. The boys left the diner and decided to go for a walk around the neighborhood. Maybe they would find a way to kill time until noon, when Brad would return to the cafe and see if Trish the waitress was serious about going with him to the arcade. As they walked, Brad did not worry about what he would write for his essay, or why Jen acted so strange toward him. Mostly, he thought about what a good time he had had last night. The End